As the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi about Jesus Christ, he said, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so throughout this Lenten season, our subject is Jesus, no other name. And yet there are so many names that Jesus has taken, that Jesus has been given, that we can't begin to cover in the short season of Lent. There's a book in my library that I was looking at as I prepared for today, and there are 42 different names, identities, for Jesus. And while we will cover some of them in this sermon series, we have not prepared a message on Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Divine Physician, the Prophet, the Bridegroom, the Light of the World, the Vine, the Judge, the Forerunner, the Amen, the Word. He has so many names. And what we hope that you will learn during the sermon series is that we can't just gravitate toward those names that make us feel warm and fuzzy about our Savior. Last week, Pastor Bob taught about Jesus, the stone. And we like the part about him being our foundation, but we don't so much like the part about him possibly being the stumbling block if we don't choose wisely. We like Jesus, the friend of sinners, and we like Jesus, the good shepherd, but we don't always want to remember the other side of the coin. And in the case of Jesus, the good shepherd, we're reminded in Scripture that while the shepherd leads the flock, the flock must walk through the gate by following the shepherd. And so today we look at Jesus again as the gate and the good shepherd, remembering that there's that warm, fuzzy Jesus, you know, the picture of Jesus holding the lamb in his arms, the picture that we see as children in Sunday school, the baby lamb in Jesus' arms, the sheep following, that's probably one of the first pictures that children learn to identify with Jesus. And we love that image, but there's more to the story than that. Like the cornerstone and the stumbling block, Jesus the shepherd leads us to the gate. And in today's scripture that Pastor Bob read earlier, there was a place where Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the gate. Now, John's gospel from which our text came is interesting. He writes differently than the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In John's gospel, we see the miracles called signs because they were signs of God being revealed to us and present with us. And in John's gospel, Jesus made a connection between that scripture that we found in the Old Testament, the scripture where Moses is by the burning bush and he asks God, well, what, what is your name and what does God say? He says, I am. Tell them I am. 
And in John's gospel, there are seven different places where Jesus says, I am. And he is trying to teach the people of his connection, a man who was there with them in the flesh, to the God of Abraham, who said, I am. But the Pharisees were having none of it. And if you read John's gospel, you'll find that Jesus had a running conflict with the Pharisees who, do not, who denied his identity, who wanted to do the things the way they had always done them, who wanted to do things in ways that benefited them. And therefore, today's scripture reminded us that sometimes the thief or the robber goes over the wall to the pen where the sheep are instead of coming through the gate. And that was a criticism of the Pharisees, and they didn't like it at all, but they also didn't like it in statements that Jesus made very often during holy times on the Jewish calendar. He made statements like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. And they were outraged because Jesus was identifying himself with their God and threatening their power and their leadership of the Jewish faith. The scripture you heard today described words that Jesus spoke during the festival of Hanukkah. We always think of Hanukkah as, as something that happens around Christmas time because we're 2,000 years later. But in Jesus' day, Hanukkah was a festival that celebrated good leaders and criticized bad shepherds. So the Pharisees knew that they were being targeted as the bad shepherds. When Jesus talked about being the gate, he was basically laying down an invitation, but also a warning. We have a, an image in biblical times, a sheep's pen had an opening in part of it. And often the pen was made of stones and rocks or thorny branches of trees. But there was an opening, and as you can see in the picture, it's a little bit small, across the opening, after the sheep were led by the shepherd into the pen, the, shep the shepherd sat down and became like a gate, protecting the sheep who were within, but keeping others out, keeping out the wolves, keeping out the thieves. In Matthew, Jesus reminds us, Matthew 7, that we must enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Only a few find it. Those are words of warning about the gate. We need to find the gate. We need to decide to enter the path to eternal life through the gate. And then there's the part about 
the shepherd. That's the part we like. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. Well, what, what characterizes a shepherd? A human shepherd with a flock, even today. They're strong and courageous. In Jesus' day, shepherds were out alone with a flock, protecting. They didn't have rifles. They didn't have today's kind of things that they could use to protect the sheep. They had a sling where they could hit something with a rock. They had a rod that had a big knot at the end of it that they could use to beat a wild animal or a wolf off. They had a staff, the stick with a crook on the end that they could use to hook a sheep and bring them back in with the flock when they were lost. They were simple tools. The shepherd was vigilant. The shepherd had to be awake at night when animals and thieves would come. And the shepherd had to be patient because sheep are foolish and they're still foolish today. The shepherd had to be patient because sheep were sometimes greedy. They would eat the grass right down to the root, which would not allow the food supply to be replenished. And yet these shepherds who did such important work, they were often reviled. They were looked down upon because... They were smelly like sheep because they couldn't do the hand-washing rituals that were so important to the Jewish faith. They didn't observe the proper prayer times. And so the Pharisees looked down upon them. And yet if you think about a shepherd's life, they spent so much time alone under the stars with a flock that knew their voice. And as God so often does, he bestows a special gift, special attention, special interaction on these lowly, reviled shepherds who were actually very brave and very patient and very vigilant. When we look at Luke's gospel and we remember the Christmas story, who did the angels appear to? Not the kings, not the Pharisees. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. We know these words. People know these words who aren't even Christians. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news. They were the first to see Jesus. When we look at our manger scenes, I know the wise men are always there with their camels and their gifts, but they actually came much later. On the night that Jesus was born, it was the shepherds and the lambs who went to the manger to see the baby Jesus. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. They were the first to spread the good news of the baby's coming. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds, the lowly, reviled shepherds, were the first chosen to see the baby Jesus and share the good news. But what about Jesus as our shepherd? The shepherd leads us to the gate even as he is the gate. The shepherd leads from the front. The scripture said, I lead them, they follow me. 
It's not like the little yapping dog that you see running around the herd. The shepherd leads from the front, and the sheep follow because they know his voice. Shepherds who have a flock of real sheep make sure they have food and water and a safe shelter like the one you saw. Jesus, the good shepherd, he provides food, the bread of life. He provides water, the living water, and he provides that eternal dwelling place if we decide to walk through the gate. But as we celebrate this season of Lent, Jesus, the shepherd, did something more. There were times in the life of a shepherd when he would go hand-to-hand with a wild animal, and the shepherd didn't always win. Sometimes the shepherd sacrificed himself for the flock, and so Jesus, the good shepherd, sacrificed himself for the flock, for you and for me, the lambs that he loved. But there was something special about the way Jesus was a good shepherd. If we turn to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, we'll find that it says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. He gently leads those who have young. The shepherd takes extra care for the vulnerable. Who are today's vulnerable lambs? There are frail elderly people who sometimes have to choose between food, medicine, and air conditioning. There are kids who live in poverty, who go to school hungry, who can't seem to catch up, maybe English isn't spoken in their home. The vulnerable sheep today include immigrants who aren't as welcome as they used to be. The mentally ill, the homeless, and yet Jesus cares for the vulnerable sheep. But you know, we don't need a shepherd, and we don't need a gate, and we don't need a shelter for the shepherd unless we have a flock. So as all things with God... We are included in this equation. We are the sheep. We are the lambs. Some of us are the lost lambs. Some of us are the foolish lambs. Some of us are the ones who wander off and get our foot stuck in a rock and have to be saved. But we are the lambs, and without us, there is no need for the good shepherd. God sent the good shepherd because of the wayward sheep. But Jesus tells us something else about the sheep. It came from our text that was, that was read earlier today. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And with that statement, he made the Pharisees furious because what he was saying is his flock would include those who were not accepted. At the temple. His flock, as we learn as early as the book of Acts, was to include the Gentiles. And the flock was to have one shepherd. 
Unity and inclusiveness mattered to Jesus. They were characteristics of his flock. So whose shepherd voice do we hear? Will we be lambs? So often today we, we talk about animals that people have characteristics like. We say someone is as playful as a puppy, a child. There's not a better word to describe my great-grandson than a puppy. He's a puppy. As wise as an owl. As stubborn as a mule. That runs in my genes. Lazy like a sloth. Speedy like a gazelle. Graceful as a swan. So which animal will you be? The choice is yours. You can walk through the gate, but if you walk through the gate, you need to decide to be a member of the flock, which means you need to decide to be a sheep. You need to decide to be a sheep. You need to follow the shepherd. You need to learn his voice. You need to rely on him for protection. You need to trust him. We are his sheep. The church is his flock. And yet there's more to this story. As I read some of the commentaries to prepare for today, one of the authors was adamant that this scripture was not about people becoming the shepherds. And perhaps this scripture isn't. But we don't read one or two or three small pieces of our Bible to the exclusion of the rest. Jesus said that we were to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that we were to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He calls upon us to be shepherds. But friends, we can't unless first we decide to become sheep. It reminds me a little bit of being a plebe at West Point. They call freshmen at West Point's plebes. It isn't a very fun year. And when you remember it, like I look back on it and remember it now, I sometimes remember it much better than it was. You know, our brains get fuzzy and they block out the bad stuff. But all the discipline, all the things you have to memorize, all the running you have to do, while the upperclassmen, the juniors and seniors, would lead you and correct you and discipline you, was designed to teach you that you had to learn to follow before you could learn to lead. And sometimes the best lessons you learned as a follower was how not to lead from people who abused their power as leaders. We're a little bit like that. We have to learn to be sheep, to trust, to listen, and to obey, to obey. But make no mistake about it, we are called to be shepherds as well. Here in our church, we do things that involve being like shepherds. Our Stephen ministers shepherd people who are struggling through difficult times. They guide and lead gently and lovingly like the good shepherd. As our young people who are preparing for confirmation are taught by their teachers, they're being shepherded toward making a commitment themselves to walk through the gate. You, as parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles, are called to shepherd the children that we raise. 
bosses, at least the good ones, shepherd their workers. At Discover St. Paul and Starting Point classes, we shepherd people outside of our congregation and guide them to become part of St. Paul. We do shepherding work all the time, but we don't have enough shepherds here. And I call upon you today. I'm looking for volunteers today. We are looking for volunteers who are willing to be a shepherd in the public school one hour a week. A congregation our size should have more than four volunteers to serve as mentors. It takes an hour a week. You have to fill out a volunteer form, attend one hour's training, and have a background check done, and no, it's not the one with fingerprints that costs money. And then you go and you meet a child during their lunch hour at a school for a half hour, and you chat with them. I promise you don't have to teach them calculus. I promise. You can talk to them about what's going on in their life, the subjects they like, the subjects they don't like, the sports they play, the hobbies they have. What they need is an adult to spend a half hour a week showing up responsibly and regularly so they learn that there are shepherds who they can follow. At the end of the service today, if any of you are willing to take on that role, I invite you to come forward. We need more than four. We have four right now. One of them is a school board member. Two of them are your pastors. And one is a person from the congregation. We need more if we're going to make a difference in the lives of the school children who are sometimes like lost lambs who need a shepherd. Now I'm going to ask you to do something with me today going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads. I want to read a scripture to you that you're, I'm sure you're going to be familiar with. But I want you, as you listen to this scripture, as I read it to you today, I want you to paint a picture in your head of the place that I'm describing, the shepherd that I'm describing. And when I finish reading, please just keep your heads bowed and stay with me as we conclude. Bow your heads, please. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The shepherd provides rest living water, refreshment for our souls, guidance during the worst of times. The shepherd provides presence, comfort, protection, goodness, and love. He provides the eternal dwelling place if we follow the shepherd through the gate. 
Would you like your life to be characterized by the image that the 23rd Psalm provides? Would you like to be a sheep in his flock? Would you like to graduate from being a sheep to being a shepherd for someone who needs to see and touch and hug a human who is here with us today? As we close today during our closing song, if you have not already made a decision for Jesus Christ to be your shepherd, I invite you to come forward. Today would be a wonderful day to join the flock. We'd love to have you. Today would be a wonderful day for you to say, Jesus, I'm one of those foolish sheep and I'm lost and I want to come home. Forgive my foolishness and my sin. Be my shepherd. During the closing song today, I invite you to come forward. Do this if you haven't already done it. The flock needs to be bigger, and the shepherd is ready to lead you home.